All right, everybody, I am excited because we have Jeff Heron on the show today. He, in my eyes, is the godfather of Georgia high school football. And I know you older men than me, you're going to argue that. You're going to tell me who the real godfather is, but he's one of them. Look at this. He had 287 games won in the state of Georgia and five state championships from three different schools. Then he goes to South Carolina and he goes 25 and two at TL Hanna. That gives him 313 career wins. I am super excited to have him on today. I am fired up that Coach Ed Dudley could be on the show as well. I hope you guys enjoy it. Why did you get started? Go back. I mean, you just retired. Go back to when you got started coaching high school football. What made you get started uh, coaching high school football? Well, you know, Jonathan, I, I loved playing football. I started when I was six years old, uh, you know, and it was just my thing, I guess. You know, I played basketball growing up, played baseball growing up, but, you know, ran track in high school. But I just – I gave up everything but football and track, and I just loved it. Now, the town I grew up in, Gate City, Virginia, was really, really good in football. And so it was kind of the thing to do, you know, for kids and, and you know, in high school. And, you know, I wanted to continue. I just – I wasn't finished playing, but, you know, there wasn't a lot of people willing to recruit uh, somebody my size and speed. Uh, but my high school coach helped me get into Emory and Henry. And while I was there, I, I went there thinking I was going to be a pharmacist. And uh, after the first biology class, I figured out that might not be such a good idea. And uh, I had a, I'd had a history teacher in high school that I absolutely loved. Uh, she was a really good teacher. And I got a good history teacher my freshman year of college. And so I decided at that time that I was going to switch and become a, a social studies teacher. And I did that for, uh, follow that track probably for two semesters. But my advisor uh, was a PE person. Uh, he was one of our football coaches, and he literally was the best teacher that I ever had in my life. Uh, and so when I had him for class, I had him for a, a kind of elective class, I guess. And, you know, I just kind of started thinking about, you know, I enjoy sports. I enjoy playing. I enjoy being around them. You know, and if I'm going to do this education stuff, why not do something that I enjoy? And so I became a, a PE person. But the coaching part, uh, you know, two things. My high school coaches really had a big influence on my life. But then a guy named Fred Self, who, who was my advisor that I mentioned, he literally was just one of the best people I'd ever been around and just was a great coach, great teacher. And I just, you know, fell in love with the way he did things. And, you know, I knew I couldn't continue to play, but I wanted to continue with the game. And uh, in a nutshell, I guess that's how I, how I wound up getting in the profession. Well, when you think about – okay, you're, you're in high school football now. And for the listener out there, I think everybody knows this, but there might be some other people that don't. But you won in, – in the state of Georgia, I think you won five or six state championships or maybe six. I can't remember which. 
but with three different schools. Oh. Every one of the, what was it? it was <laughs> what was it? I said thanks, but it was just five, not six. Okay, so you won. Okay, five. so you won. But with but at three different schools, which I think is is not many coaches, if any coach has done that. Take us through being an assistant coach, what you learned as an assistant coach, and then your first job as a head coach. What are some things that you learned that really became the DNA of, of who you are as a f head football coach? Well, you know, I, I started out as a graduate assistant at Tennessee Tech, and I worked for a, a gentleman named Don Wade. His son, Clint Wade, was – a long time Georgia coach and Coach Wade was great. You know, I was just a puppy right out of school and, and I got to watch him and how he did things. Uh, but he got fired that year. And so I was kind of left wondering what the heck am I going to do? And I wanted to stay and at Tech and be a GA another year. And the coach they hired just flat out told me no. He said, you know, he had his own people and that was about the extent of our conversation. So I really was kind of floundering, trying to decide what to do. And, and, a, and a guy, you know, Jimmy Dorsey, who's a longtime McEachern coach and AD, uh, he walked in the gym one day. I was playing basketball, and he was talking to one of my professors. He called me over, and he said, you know, here's a guy that's uh, wanting to coach, and Jimmy's looking for a coach. And next thing I knew, I got hired and uh, moved to Paulding County. And then the next year, Jimmy went with McEachern, uh, went to McEachern, and I went with him. But Jimmy was absolutely, you know, I can't imagine a better person to to work under than Coach Dorsey because he, he really was the complete package. Uh, first of all, first of course, he was great, John, with, with people. And he just had a way with the kids. He could get them to play hard. They, they loved him. Uh, but he was tough on them, you know, and then, you know, he was great with the football aspect of it. And he was great with me being a young coach of just kind of giving me direction and then letting me go. And, you know, so I, I worked for him for five years at McEachern before I became a head coach. And he, he also had just put in the wing tee and uh, he had been a defensive coordinator. So he was a defensive guy, but, he put in the wing tee and I got to coach that right off the get go. And back in those days, you know, he didn't specialize. I coached both sides of the ball. Right. And uh, even went to McEachern and I was a defensive coordinator. I was still coaching on offense some. So, you know, I learned about how important defense and special teams were from Jimmy, but I also got my, my introduction to the wing tee and running the football and controlling the clock you know, and things that even my high school coach had preached to us and our college coach did, you know, Jimmy just reinforced that to me. And so I, I you know, I was very, very lucky to get to work for him and uh, because he, he was really good. <laughs> he was good in every area and it made a huge difference me trying to learn. Well, Jeff, uh, everybody knows about uh, the long-term consistency that you had as a head coach, winning in the different programs and, and I think just for the listeners out there, that that feat probably will never be duplicated in Georgia. It's just it's just very hard to to get to the state title level, and then to do it at multiple schools, uh, just that much harder. But could you talk a little bit about team building and community building? I think that that's one of the things that you've done better than the rest of us here in this state. 
and could you give the young coach out there a few hints on on some of the things that you did that you felt like uh, really helped build up your program? Well, it's nice of you to say, but, you know, I, I don't think I'm any better at it than anybody else. But, you know, I I, I will say, you know, I, I've, I've given speeches before about, you know, what what do you do when you become a head coach? And, and I think back to uh, when I went to Oconee County and I spent, you know, and I was still really kind of didn't know what I was doing still. And I, I remember I'd spent like two weeks working on a helmet decal. I mean, I was drawing it and taking pictures. You know, back then you couldn't just get in on the Internet and look stuff up, you know. So I thought, man, I got to get a perfect decal here. We're going to change this. We're going to do this. And, you know, after about two weeks of that, I – one of the guys that was going to coach with me said, have you looked at any film of them? And, you know, and I did. And I remember thinking, you know, I've got my priorities out of whack here. So I made a list of things, you know, just, and I don't remember all of them, but that were more priorities. And the first one started with the players. You know, I felt like going into any situation with Oconee, Camden, wherever, the most important thing you got to do is try to win the players over. And, uh, you know, once you do that, everything else kind of takes care of itself. But, you know, you win the players over, then you try to win the parents over, then you try to win your school over, your faculty, your administration, and, you know, and then you try to win the community over. And, you know, maybe sometimes that order is a little different, but I think you really, really, really have to start with the players. And, you know, again, if you inherit some coaches, they, they better be up there pretty high too. Uh, but I don't know, you know, just – I think you just go in and you have a, a way of doing things that you think will work, and then you try to convince those around you that it will work. And, uh, you know, sometimes they buy in, sometimes they don't, you know, as you all know. But, uh, you know, just trying to get everybody pulling in the same direction, I guess, is would be the short answer. Coach, at Oconee County, you know, I think it's where you won your first state championship. You go there and you, and you turn a program into a state championship uh, – state championship caliber football team what are things and like you said you know you were learning but what are some things that you left when you left Oconee County and you went to Camden County I think that's right correct me if I'm wrong but what are some things that you left Oconee County with knowing that you did not know before you became the head football coach at Oconee County well, I think every year that I've been a head coach, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, you learn something new every year, you know, that benefits you. And that's been one of the neatest things about being in this profession, that, you know, you, you have to continually grow, but it's very easily done if you'll let yourself, because there's always great people out there willing to help you and share ideas and stuff like that. But, you know, at Oconee, I, I learned how important the community was. Uh, you know, I learned how important that uh, the coaching staff and, and having a good coaching staff was. And, you know, Oconee was a great place to live. It was a great place to teach. It was a great place to have your kids raised. But it wasn't an easy place to coach. But I had a really good staff. We had a really good group of kids. And we had a community that was just hungry for success. And, you know, when I went to Camden, you know, you certainly you have different set of problems, I guess. But 
but I tried to get that community to buy in and feel like the one that Oconee did. And, and I really think, you know, it took a, it took a couple of years. Uh, it was a different type of community, but I think eventually they did. And, and that's what let us be successful for such a long time at Camden was it just everybody in the community, you know, loved football and it was a lot of fun to be involved with. Jeff, one of the things that, uh, I wanted to ask you all along was um, offenses come and go, styles and fads, and most coaches will change their playbook about as often as they change their undershirt. But uh, you got into the wing T offense, as you told us earlier, back with Jimmy Dorsey, and have stayed in it uh, throughout all um, your career. And you've taken it to different schools with different communities and different type kids and everywhere it's been productive. Kind of speak to, to your determination to stay with that offense and, and some of the rewards that brought to you. Well, you know, I, I was very fortunate. When, when Jimmy hired me, uh, he had just put it in the year before. And so that spring we was the second time for him. The first for me, we went to Delaware and watched some spring practice. And that is something that continued for 15, 16 years, I guess. We started doing camps with them. And, uh, you know, we went there for camp for two years, and we got them to come to Georgia. And so we had access to them for a lot of years. The thing about the wing tee that Delaware did, um, very much like the spread guys, very much like the wishbone guys, you know, they didn't run just a group of plays. They didn't just pick things out of a hat. They really had what I like to call a system of calling things. And they taught us that. They shared that with us. And, you know, I think you can be successful running any kind of offense as long as that offense has answers built into it because people will take things away from you. And if you have counter punches, if you have answers in your offense that your coaching staff knows, that your kids knows, then I, you know, I don't think it matters what offense it is, as long as those are good, solid answers. Now, I fell in love with the wing tee because it was primarily a running offense. It was a ball control offense. And your quarterback talent could fluctuate, and you still had a chance to be good on offense. And there's very few offenses I think you could say that about uh, because a lot of the things going on in today's game, you know, really, really revolve around the quarterback. And, you know, we had some great offenses with some really good quarterbacks through the years, but we also had some great offenses that didn't have very good quarterbacks, but they were able to manage the game and do the things we needed to. So, again, I – the wing team, it fit me, it fit my style and all that. You know, in today's world, I'm not sure you could do that. But, you know, it was good for me for a long time. Yeah, Coach, you know, one of the things thinking about offense, <clears throat> I tell people all the time that I talk to, you know, about football with, I'm like, you know, it'd be nice to sit there and, and, and throw the ball all the time. And, and, you know, that's exotic and seems like it, what everybody wants to do. But I could have a Division One quarterback but not have, uh, you know, three or four really good wide receivers and vice versa. I could have three or four really good wide receivers and not a Division One quarterback. So it, it's kind of hard in high school football to sell out to that because 
you're just talent changes so much. And it's, it's, for me, it's easier to, to figure out the run game with the talent change than it is the passing game. But I have one question for you because I, I've copied, I copied the three, five, three from you. You know, when I hired Derek Chastain in 2012, he worked for you and he brought us the, the three, five, three and, and I love it. And I fell in love with it and I'm still in love with it. What was it? And I know I read some things. I was trying to go over your PowerPoint that I got from Derek. But, you know, you had run a 50 defense, a 4-3 defense, and then you had converted to the 3-5. Can you explain why you did that, kind of the process of that? No, absolutely. Well, you know, when I started coaching for Jimmy, uh, he was a 50 guy. What, you know, the 5-2, what everybody calls a 3-4 now, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, it was, a, it was a run defense. I mean, it was great at stopping the run. You, you had two big defensive ends. You would try to put out there three defensive linemen, two linebackers, you know, and, and it was really good. And, that, and that's – I cut my teeth. Jimmy was a defensive coordinator, and I cut my teeth on that, you know, learning that. And uh, then when I became a head coach, uh, I ran a 50 for a while. Uh, but when I went to Camden, or actually at Oconee, I hired Jeff Arnett, and he was a 4-3 guy. I uh, went to Camden. We were a 4-3 team to start out with there. And I really liked the three linebackers. I felt like that that was a little better deal for cutbacks, counters, and stuff like that. We got to Camden. The second year, we're in a 4-3, and we played uh, Ware County. Ed, you're familiar with that. but uh, I've, uh, I've heard of those guys. Yeah, yeah. But they had a guy named Dan Ragel as their coach. And it was literally, I think, the first spread offense I had ever encountered. And this was 2001. And they had some really good athletes, Fred Gibson, uh, I think Richard McKnight, something like that. But they were good. But they'd literally like to wore us out because, you know, every time we thought they were going to run, they were throwing. Every time we thought they were going to throw, they were running. And, you know, we had a hard time lining up our secondary to their formations and all the stuff they were doing. And so we went to the 3-5 primarily the first year. We were going to have that as our nickel deal. And, you know, because look, we play passing teams like this, we got to be able to do something different. Uh, I liked it because of the three linebackers. I liked it even more, though, because of the five defensive backs and the flexibility that I felt like that gave us uh, to defend the pass and do all that. What we found on top of it was it really fit our kids well. And, you know, like offensively, it's hard to find great linemen every year. Defensively, it's hard to find great defensive linemen every year. But we had a lot of average-sized kids that maybe could run pretty good. And so having five DBs and being able to adjust, having three linebackers to play cutback and all that stuff, uh, those were really, really big keys. But I also think that getting speed on the field and not having to find four defensive linemen, that was a factor for us too. That's awesome. Jeff, you've got two sons that are now going in the business. Um, and we've got a, a whole new generation of coaches. As you know, as I read in the paper the other day, Jim Dorsey retires after 35 years as the head coach and AD at Keechan High School. You've retired. And now your boys are in that phase where they're taking over the coaching business. 
what what do you what advice have you given them about about the future of football and the growth of football as as we go forward? Well, you know, I haven't really sat down and talked to them about it. I mean, we certainly talk about it and all, but you know, I want to let them figure it out on their own and you know make their own way. And you know, certainly, there if they ask, I, I, will, I will talk to them about different things. But you know, the game is certainly different than than when I started out when I was their age, and and it it. I'm worried about it, to be quite honest with you. Uh, you know, you guys have been in it a while, and you know we we deal with the concussions, we deal with the safety factor so much more, and we should. I get that, but, you know, it makes it harder to coach. There's so many more options for kids, um, you know, again. And all these sound like I'm whining. It's still a great game. But, you know, when I was playing high school football, what my coach said was gold. It did not matter. He could have told me to do anything, and my parents would have said, "Listen to the man." You know, you know. In today's world, you you got to be a little more flexible, and you you got to coach in a different way to some extent, but then try to maintain the discipline and and the commitment and all that things that that we know that are important. You just got to be a little more creative in how you do it in today's world, and. Uh, you know, it's football and football players, kids in general, they're different than they were 30 years ago. And you know, I think good coaches learn to adjust. You have to, uh, but it sure, you know, sure takes some of the fun out of it, being able to do some of the things we could 30 years ago. Coach, speak to that a little bit. You, you touched on it right there, but kids are different. Parents are different. Talk a little bit about the things that you – dealt with, you know, how it changed over the years, dealing with parents and, and specifically dealing with recruiting. You know, what I have found out, it's not a bad thing, but I, I tell my coaches all the time, a parent would rather their son get a full scholarship than win a state championship. So really winning a state championship is important, but so is signing day, February 3rd. It's probably the more important day for our parents and it, I'm sure that's that's not why you and I and, and, and people, a lot of people play football, but it, it kind of is. And I think social media has made recruiting a, a disaster. But speak to that a little bit, how you manage that and learn to manage that process. Well, you know, I, <laughs> I learned to tolerate it. I don't know that I would learn to manage it, but mm -hmm. it really has changed. And uh, gosh, I mean, you know, 30 years ago, you know, if a college came by and talked to one kid on your team, you know, everybody was tickled to death. But, you know, in today's world, every parent, it seems like, thinks their kid can go to school and play football in college and get paid for it. And, you know, that's not the reality. And, and that's one of the toughest things that I think I had to deal with. Uh, you know, every year you're going to have somebody that's disappointed. Every year you're going to have somebody – that feels like you didn't do a good job helping your son. And, you know, as a coach, that really hurts, you know, because I know that, that we do and we try everything we can to help them. Uh, but sometimes, you know, kids just don't have the ability. Uh, but that's very hard for a parent to see. I'm a parent. I know how it works. I, it was very hard for me to see, you know. But you get people that are outside of our, our world, so to speak, that – you know, our trainers that are managers, that are hustlers, that are telling these parents and these kids, you know, how great they are and how, 
you know, if you come and pay me $50 an hour, I can get your son a scholarship where your high school coach can't. You know, all those things are new to the game. And as Ed said, you know, the social media, it's like, you know, every day you, you get on USA Today and it's all about who committed where. It's all about, you know, who's, who's transferring where. And, you know, one of the things I absolutely – I wish I could grab the ESPN executives and, and choke them when they have a high school game on because they don't ever talk about the community. They don't ever talk about the school. They talk about who on the team has got X amount of stars. And, you know, that's the focus. And we, we were fortunate, Camden, Grayson, you know, whatever, play on TV a lot really over the years. It always drove me crazy that they only wanted to talk about the kids that were the recruits instead of those average kids that really make the game what it is. And um, it's changed over the years. There's no question. Uh, The recruiting aspect of it has become really bad. You know, the year I spent in Gwinnett County, uh, that was probably my number one headache uh, because Gwinnett is really, really, really over-recruited. But with that said, it creates problems because every kid that plays there thinks they're going to a Power 5 school. And if they don't have an offer by the time they're a sophomore, you know, the parents are wondering what the coaches are doing wrong or think they don't get enough touches or, you know, not got them in the right position, stuff like that. And those poor guys in Gwinnett County, man, they have to deal with that like crazy. And when I came to Hannah, luckily – uh, you know, it was kind of like going back in time a little bit because uh, that wasn't as big a factor, and it sure made my job a lot more enjoyable. Coach, um, it's been seven whole days since you retired. I keep waiting for you to pop up in a college coaching job or back at it. I know uh, your your lovely wife, Inc., is probably already sick of you, but uh, I have to give you a compliment. You've always been a, a great inspiration to me and, and my family about how to do faith, family, and football and keep it kind of in the right perspective. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, about how you guys managed that over the years, how you all did Sunday, how you, how you managed to, uh, on the one hand, uh, win all these championships and football games and become a very famous coach, but on the other hand, I think uh, – I can say this on the on the podcast. You're probably a better father and husband than you are a coach. What? Um, how, how did she help keep you in the road on all that? <laughs> well, I, I won't take much credit of being a very good father. I, I actually was telling her yesterday, believe it or not. It, it's funny you say that because I was talking about our oldest son, Major, and what a great father I think he will be. He's not yet in which that's a point of contention, too. The boy needs to get us a grandchild, you know. But uh, <laughs> Brittany, our oldest daughter, she's got two and got another one on the way. And, you know, Major, the oldest son, he and his wife don't have any yet. But, you know, we were talking about Major and what a great father he's going to be. And I told my wife, I said, that's a credit to you. I said, because I didn't do a great job with that. And, you know, Ed, I'd like to think that I was a great father, and we all would. But quite honestly, you know, I, I, I probably wasn't. And, uh, you know, I was in some ways. But, uh, you know, everything revolved around football season with us. And my wife was great. Inca is – she is super. She should be mom of the century. Uh, but, you know, she did all those things, like your wives have done to some degree, I'm sure, that, you know, she was making sure they got the softball practice or volleyball practice or rec league practice 
while I was coaching in the afternoons. And, and she was making sure the bills got paid. She was making sure the grass got cut, you know. Uh, but one thing I did do, and, and I don't, don't really know why. I don't know who taught me to do this. But one thing I always tried to do was this. When I did have off time, uh, we spent it with the family. And, you know, I didn't play golf. I didn't go hunting. I didn't go fishing. If if we were off, we were doing something as a family. And, uh, you know, be, both of us being teachers really made that good because spring break, Christmas, you know, as much as we could in the summer, we were vacationing together, hanging out together, doing things together. And so, you know, that probably helped as much as anything. But, you know, during football season, there's no question that I probably neglected them more than I wanted to. Uh, but I learned and got better at it as we went along. And, you know, we, uh, uh, you asked this a part of the question, you know, we never met on Saturdays uh, my entire coaching career. I never met with the guys on Saturdays. Uh, we would always meet on Sunday afternoons after church. And I would always try to be organized and, you know, have an agenda and get it over with as quick as possible because I wanted them to have as much time with their families as we could. And, you know, we like to have the kids around on game nights and hanging out in the field house or coming to practice. And, uh, you know, that's how my kids were raised. And, you know, if they saw me during the week, it was usually at practice. Coach, I read an article, you know, when you retired, you know, there was an article in the paper about it. And it, one thing that you talked about in the article was that you didn't have as much joy in winning, kind of re relief in winning and, and misery and, and losing is kind of how I read it, which I understand completely. You know, what are some things that – what's advice that you can give to avoid that? Well, I'm not sure I can, other than tell people that's not the good way to do it. It takes some of the fun out of it. But, you know, I mean, I've always been competitive. It didn't matter what I was playing as a kid. You know, I, I've always liked competition. Uh, but when I, when I first became a head coach, I was always scared to death, you know, that I, I would worry so much about who we were playing and how good they were and, you know, I just kind of – Friday nights were torture, and, and I figured out that the kids were picking up on that. And, you know, so I I guess at some point I maybe had been a head coach for like three years, maybe four, and I finally said, I, I don't believe this is the way you're supposed to do it. And, you know, something clicked with me, and, and I just started thinking, you know, you can't go into a game not expecting to win. You, you have to expect to win. And your kids have to have that feeling. And, you know, I preach that to them all the time. But, look, you know, we might not, but we're not going to line up and play. He's thinking we're going to lose. And I used to do a thing, and the coaches kid me about it all the time, but we'd go on our coaches' retreat, and I would uh, ask them to write on a piece of paper what they thought our record was going to be that year. And, you know, invariably we, we'd get 15 and O's, but we might get a – 12 and three or a 14 and one or, you know, something, yeah. you know, I think some guy put five and five, you know, and fire <laughs> him, but, you know, <laughs> the, the thing was, I was trying to convince them that, look, if, if you think there's somebody on our schedule already that we can't beat then why are we even going to practice that week? You know, we just need to take that week off. But, you know, I always felt like 
that. You know, you got to go into the game, you got to convince your kids, convince your coaches that even if you're not the better team, you're going to find a way to win. And as I said to the newspaper person, the problem with that is if you expect to win and you do win, it's, a, it's just you expect it. That's what's supposed to happen. No big deal. Let's get ready for the next week. Uh, but if you expect it and then something goes wrong and you don't, it's a little more upsetting, I think, than normal. And and that's kind of how my, you know, I, I guess that became my style, philosophy, or whatever. And, you know, and it did. I, there's very, very few games in my career that I would look back on and go, man, that was really, really fun. Uh, but there's certainly more than, than I like to think about as far as how, you know, how badly I felt when they were over. I mean, the ones that you that you feel like you, you messed up and did something wrong coaching, those eat at you. And, and I, I could never get rid of them. You know, the wins, you know, and unless it was a, a you know, some a really kind of unexpected for everybody else type deal, something like that, maybe there's not as much enjoyment in it. That's probably a warped way of looking at it. But, you know, it's it kind of was how, how I wound up being. Jeff, I'm, um, I've kind of run out of the questions I wanted to grill you on. I could go a month on this podcast with you and asking you stuff more specifically about the Delaware wing tee and, and the and the three five defense. But uh, just as a co- high school, longtime high school coach in Georgia, I want to thank you and, and pat you on the back for a job well done. Uh, we all appreciate it. Uh, I think you're a great role model for these younger coaches that are coming along today. A uh, model of consistency, of family first and putting your faith into action. And um, thanks for being on today, and I really appreciate Coach Guest letting me tag along on this and uh, getting to hang out with you guys on the on what I still call the radio. <laughs> well, Coach. Ed, I appreciate it. And you, I, I've, I've learned a lot from you over the years, too. You and Jonathan both have always done it the right way. And the beauty of coaching, you know, is you get to see some guys that put right and do it wrong, and you get to make that choice. and. Hopefully I chose the right way more often than not. Coach, as, as we finish up the podcast, what are, you know, one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because, you know, when I was 22, 23, 24, 25 years old, there really wasn't a lot of information for me, like cheap information, free information. Yeah, you can go to, you can go to the clinics and drive here and there, and I did do that, but, you know, you eventually you don't have any money any longer. So you can't, there's just, there wasn't a lot of access to, to information, especially from, you know, good Christian football coaches. And so I, I you know, I started this and, you know, and, and, and for specifically to interview people like you could try to try to preserve information. Um, what are, so there's a 22, 23, 24, even up to 30 or even older me um, coach out there. What are some things, just one or two things. You probably just got one or two things on your mind, like do it this way, uh, don't do it that way. What are some advice you could give them as they try to be, you know, as successful as you have been? Well, Jonathan, I, I think you're gonna, you're gonna. This answer is gonna hit home with you probably more than most because I did read your book and and it really really affected me. I read it this spring, but. I heard Lou Holtz say one time that, you know, coaching gives you the opportunity to be successful, but it more importantly gives you the opportunity to be significant. And I think, you know, when I first started out, 
I only wanted to be successful. I, I didn't know anything about the significance part. I just wanted to win. And I started out that way, but I'm sure as, as you found out that, you know, again, the winning, it, it's never enough. You know, you, you win a state championship and I, I, you want to win another one, you know, and you start getting ready for the next year. You win a game, you start on Saturday getting ready for the next one. So the success, you know, is not, that's not the key to it. The, the on the field success is not the key to it, you know, because it's not going to be enough. You can win 10 state championships and you're going to want to win 11. And, you know, it's it, it just the success will fade. You know, when we die, we're not going to be remembered for the success or the failure on Friday nights. The significance, though, and, and what difference have we made in young men's lives or the community or faculty members, or anybody else that we touch, you know, that's what I think. I wish I had figured that out earlier. Uh, because I wasted some good years and some kids that maybe I could have done a better job being significant in their life because I was just wrapped up in winning. And again, you know, it took me you know, several years before I figured that out in that, you know, I mean, I was raised in a Christian home. I, I you know, that, that's always been a big deal to me, but I didn't coach very Christian-like when I started out. I, I wanted to win more than I cared about what happened and you know I found out and it, it you know eventually thankfully came to me and the good Lord you know put his hand home and said look you got this wrong that just trying to make a difference in kids lives trying to be significant in kids lives that's what's going to last and you know again I, I've told people in this retirement thing I don't think I'm going to miss Friday nights I don't think I'm going to miss practice I'm pretty sure I won't miss that, but you know, what I will miss and what I've got to try to find a way to continue to do is I will miss the relationships with our players. I'll miss the relationship with our coaches because those are the times that you get a chance to be significant in somebody's life. And, you know, I, when I'm gone and, and dead, I, I don't, you know, my tombstone, whatever, I, you know, putting wins and losses on it, that wouldn't be good. But if they could put a few guys' names on there that maybe I had significant, you know, something significant in their life that made them a better husband, father, person, you know, maybe they went into coaching and they did that for other people, you know, then I would consider that a success. You know, 30 years ago, I had it backwards. Uh, but now, you know, I, and, and for a young coach, I would like for you to, you know, learn that as quickly as you can because I'm telling you, you're never going to win enough games to satisfy it. But you're never going to be as significant in guys' lives to satisfy because you're going to keep wanting to do that. But in the long run, making a difference in people's lives is a whole lot more important than winning a football game. Well, I appreciate it, Coach. Um, you know, really look up to you. And, you know, hope, like you said, I hope you do find a way to, to keep involved. Maybe, maybe you can just start like a – give advice to coaches company or something like that. And we all could come to you for advice, a consulting company. There you go. Um, well, everybody else be doing it, but I think you got to be smart enough to have something good to say to do that. So that probably rules me out. So. 
you could come in and like analyze everybody's program and tell them what they're doing wrong. That's what consultants do. They make a lot of money for that. So um, you'd be a good one. Coach Dudley, would you have him do that? You know I would. I, I call Jeff for free all the time, Jonathan. You've messed this up. And now, now I'm going to have to start paying him when I call him. <laughs> I may have to look into that. Yeah, I may have to look into it. But oh, man, see, Jeff, you, you, you have ruined it. I have I have been calling Jeff Heron for 30 years now and asking him advice. And now the next time I call him up, it's going to be, um, I'm starting to call. You're on the clock, Ed. This is going to cost you, buddy. Well, Ed, you know, I've already told you what you got to pay. I, I told you that, that you got to get Brad A and get me back in the truck business, but you're not doing so hot on that one, so. <laughs> not doing so hot on a lot of stuff these days. <laughs> Jonathan, uh, you never need to listen to me because I'm telling you, you're like, uh, well, I don't think I've ever beaten you. <laughs> so I, I think you won every time we played, Jonathan. You're killing me, man. You're killing me. Well, I never had to play at Camden County and Grayson and places like that either. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you probably would have beat us there too, so I don't know. No. Well, Coach, um, man, I really appreciate it. I'm going to pray for you, if you don't mind, as we as we head out. And, um, and, and once again, thank you for all you've done and the leadership that you've provided for, um, especially coaches like me. Um, so, appreciate you. Well, hey, it, it means a lot. Coming from you, you, you and Ed have always done it right. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed talking with you today. And, you know, again, I'm going to enjoy this retirement but i'm gonna to try to still try to become significant in some form or fashion and i know you guys will keep doing that too so yes, thank sir. you yes sir lord we come before you today just want to praise and thank you for loving us praise and thank you lord for uh your son jesus christ who died on the cross for our sins lord i praise and thank you for coach heron lord and the impact that he's had uh lord in football but most importantly in the lives of people um, and, and, you know, and just the influence that he's had and, and Lord really set the example on how to coach with class and dignity, uh, Lord doing it the right way. And Lord, I do pray for him as he heads into his retirement years, Lord, that he would find ways to be significant, um, and, and to influence people and Lord, that you would just open up doors and paths for him to continue to influence coaches of the next generation. And even, even young high school football players, uh, Lord, continue to impact them. And Lord, we, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Coach. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Yes, sir. You too. Take care. He's our rescuer. He's our rescuer. We are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound. Oh, how grace abounds. We will praise the Lord, our rescuer. There is good news for the captive, good news for the shame. There is good news for the world who walked away. There is good news for the doubter, the one religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. He's
Redemption for every affliction 